Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, a follow-up regarding false accusations. But before we jump into that content, uh, I want to remind you of a couple great opportunities for you if you are benefiting from all the content you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast, then you know what's coming. PeaceWorks University is your best next step. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and we have a vault of past teaching materials, uh, videos, homework uh, assignments, infographics, live Q&As, all provided just for our members. There's so much uh, at PeaceWorks University that I know you can benefit from. If you are enjoying the content uh, here at the PeaceWorks podcast, then I know you're going to love PeaceWorks University because we have it organized. We have so much content uh, at your fingertips to help you have a gospel-centered response to domestic abuse. Also, there's one other thing I want to remind you of. At the time of this recording, we're preparing for PeaceWorks Live. Head over to chrismoles.org uh, and see if there's any spots available for our live event uh, in August in Charleston, West Virginia. So today, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about false accusations. Uh, a while back, we spoke about uh, false accusations and there has been some feedback, some questions regarding the statistics and the rates and how are, how can we both be so sure. And then in a world, the world in which we live, there seems to be some pushback recently within the church community about the need to confront false accusations with the same uh, vigor and zeal that we confront abuse itself. And so I think I want to start there before I jump kind of into the um, how we understand false reporting and false accusations. I think I want to start with a concern. So this is a, a concern from a pastor who considers himself in the complementarian camp and who has been writing, speaking, and logging hours in the domestic abuse world for quite some time. And normally I don't throw at least I, don't, I hope I don't throw my credentials out there like that uh, very often. But I think it's important to lay out what I'm getting ready to say is from a place of concern, but not uh, a place of ignorance. Um, that is to say, as a pastor, as a, a church leader, and as a Christian, I'm very concerned with the rhetoric of um, viewing false accusations with the same passion that we uh, address abuse. Uh, and that's informed, that passion, that drive for me as a pastor is informed by nearly 20 years of working directly in this field with abusive individuals, victims, and people helpers. And, and so here is my concern, that in the conservative evangelical church, those who would tend to fall within the category of complementarians that believe that men and women are different, although more similar 
than we are different, but nonetheless different, that we function differently in the home and to a degree in the church, that um, we understand that God created people differently and he calls us to function differently. My great concern is that there's one area in which we in the complementarian church, at least a loud minority or a loud voice or voices within the church, demands mutuality. And that seems to be this area of domestic abuse, that it is very difficult for us, for whatever reason, to acknowledge that men tend to function more out of violence and aggression and harm to their partners than women do. And when we present this idea that domestic abuse is primarily a men's issue, I'm amazed at how much pushback we get uh, with almost the demand of mutuality. But I'm not sure we can have it both ways. I'm not sure we can say that we are complementarian and that we believe that men and women are created differently and they function differently in different aspects of the home and the church and then unilaterally say at the same time that However, we are built differently, made differently, created differently, and function differently, that we operate identically when it comes to harm, especially when those of us in the work continue to contend that um, power is central to this argument. And so it, it does affect me emotionally when I see kind of this passion to highlight the significance and the rates and the alarming nature of false accusations when, quite frankly, false accusations time and time and time again have shown, have been shown, uh, to be minimal, minuscule in some ways, and compared to reporting, actually, logically, will be far less than even statistically what we're bringing to the table. And my fear is that many of us who are in the conservative evangelical church are falling victim to something that has occurred in the culture for decades, which is the conflation of certain aspects of the problem propagated by individuals who hold a patriarchal or superiority uh, based belief that um, see men as superior to women and see women as inferior to men. There's a scene from a one of my favorite uh, sitcoms. Uh, I'm going to be revealing a little bit about myself personally, but I uh, absolutely love the show Parks and Rec. So uh, if you want to know Pastor Chris's dirty little secret, he he has binge-watched Parks and Rec no less than five or six times. It is one of my favorite uh, television shows that have ever been created. And I bring this up because there is a, a moment in uh, some of the later seasons where the primary character, Leslie, and her then-husband, Ben, are uh, engaged in a political activity. I believe Ben is running for office. And there is a group of angry men who uh, call themselves the male men who are a men's rights advocacy group. And I bring this up for a reason because many of the statistics that get cited, even within the church, are created 
quite frankly, by men's rights advocacy groups or by attorneys who serve such groups. And this uh, parody of this men's rights group has a leader who says, you know, men have had it very difficult in most recently, <laughs> like in recent years. It's been very hard for us recently Be- because we often see when other people in the culture progress and improve and gain status, those of us in the majority culture feel attacked or harmed in some way. But just because women are gaining respect and opportunity and being heard uh, does not mean that men are being silenced. Uh, And it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game because there's wonderful things about being a man, but there's also things that require us to hold each other accountable. And the church should be the first place that it happens, especially with acts of power and violence, coercion, and control. So I bring this up because there is a recent um, push to hold false accusers accountable. And this narrative keeps popping up that false accusations are at um, high rates, possibly even equal rates, to abuse themselves. And it's just not true. And so I just want to lay this out because when I talked recently about false accusations, there was some questions about, well, Chris, what are some of the studies? And I wish I could reveal all of them. I don't know all of them, to be honest with you. Most of the things that I've read are, are meta-analysis. It's taking apart the data from multiple studies. But I will tell you that the, the multiple study approach, the meta-analysis approach, seems to focus in on core data from four different places, uh, a study in Australia, a study in um, the UK, a study in broader Europe, and the FBI's uh, UCR, which is called the Uniform Crime Report. So the UCR or the Uniform Crime Report uh, is an interesting piece of documentation that, that takes apart some of the nature of uh, sexual assault in particular and intimate partner violence along with other crimes. Uh, one of the things that many of these studies have in common, in particular the European study, is it shows that rates of false accusations uh, within sexual assault and rape um, are mirrored in other crimes and included in those other crimes are domestic violence. And so the operating uh, belief is that according to the databases for criminal activity that we're using, uh, domestic abuse will, false accusations will occur at about the same rate as false accusations within sexual assault, which puts it somewhere between 2% and 10%, depending upon what part of the world that you live in. And uh, that's an interesting dynamic, 10% being incredibly high, uh, and then 2% uh, being the low end of that spectrum. But even then, it's not equal to, and it's not um, as great as. So, uh, one of the things that I thought might be helpful for us is just understanding that false accusations alone are not um, the statement false accusations uh, alone are not substantial enough, even at the high end, the 10% mark, to say that therefore we have a significant or severe problem. Because when we're talking about criminal activity again, which is what these studies are based upon, False accusations fall into a category of what law enforcement calls unfounded reports. And when law enforcement creates these unfounded reports, uh, it contains two 
typically two, although you could also add unsubstantiated, but we'll just talk about the unfounded reports. Within unfounded reports of abuse, it falls into two categories, a false report or a baseless report. And now that only, that only categorically speaks to the unfounded aspect of reporting. It doesn't even talk about the ways in which, the other ways in which cases are cleared. Because if you look at something like a UCR, you'll see that sexual abuse and intimate partner violence cases are cleared by law enforcement through multiple ways. Arrest would be one, uh, which is where I'm most familiar with uh, following arrests. Uh, Exceptions would be another, and exceptions kind of depend upon local and state laws, whether they are issued civil, um, civil consequences as opposed to criminal consequences. Uh, or whether there's aspects of, of parole, probation, other areas in which they may already be in the system. And so there's ways to clear these abuse cases from a law enforcement perspective. There's arrest, there's exceptions, and then there's what's called unfounded. And unfounded reports, as I said, contain two, two possible responses, typically. that We could add some layers, but for simplicity, we'll say two possible responses. A false report and a baseless report. So an unfounded report is a case that's investigated. So it's, again, we're talking criminally, but that's where the studies are at. And then I'll try to uh, equate this to the church here in a moment. A case that's investigated and it's found to be either false or baseless. The unfounded category, however, is confused with the greater notion of false allegations because the definitions are similar and unfounded cases are placed categorically within false reporting. And this is going to make sense here in a second because of the two categories, a false report, false accusation, a false report is a reported crime to law enforcement that is investigated and factually proven that it never occurred. Let me give you an example because one of the things that gets thrown at me quite a bit in public speaking is, well, Chris, I know you're saying that false reporting is rare, but what about the the Duke lacrosse team? I mean, you have to acknowledge that's been substantiated, that the Duke lacrosse team was accused of sexual assault. And my pushback would be, yes, and that case was investigated, and that was found to be a false report. Just because someone made a false claim, right? That's just because someone made a claim doesn't mean that we have to assume it's false. They investigate. And that claim was made and the Duke lacrosse team was exonerated. Oh, there was some attention. I think that's what people see. These Wouldn't you agree that these individuals' lives were ruined? No, I would say their lives were inconvenienced. And no one wants to see anyone go through the turmoil of a long investigation. But aren't you glad that we live in a society that takes time to do investigations that they can prove that things are false? Isn't that amazing? And so when, when Christians and pastors and church leaders cite false reporting to me as if it is an indication that abuse is to be minimized or doubted, it breaks my heart because false reports are the result of an investigation. It's actually when individuals do their job well and determine that they are without merit, that the false accusation is investigated and factually proven incorrect. Now, 
the second part of an unfounded report. So remember, that is what we tend to think of with false accusations, that a false report has been made, and we know this because it's been investigated and found to be untrue. I think that's a blessing that we have that in our culture, and I think it's something that can translate well to church and ministry, even though when it comes to criminal cases, it needs to be handled uh, at the level of law enforcement in the courts. So let's go to the second. That's a baseless report. Unfounded reports will include, generally, false reports, those investigated and found to be factually untrue, and baseless reports. A baseless report, excuse me, is one in which it is determined that the incident does not meet the criteria to be a crime, but often is presumed to be true. So a baseless report is not a meritless false accusation. It's a report that's made and then law enforcement investigates, but they don't have enough information to convict. I'm not in law enforcement. I'm not in the criminal justice system other than an educator, but I have sat in meetings where my expertise has been valued and people have wanted to hear my thoughts on cases. And I can tell you that I think very differently than prosecutors and law enforcement think when it comes to cases. Just because something is morally and ethically wrong and can be clearly seen doesn't mean that that crime is going to be convicted. Because sometimes the reports are found to be baseless, not because you can't see the truth there, but because you can't bring a case against the person. So when we talk about unfounded reports, that 2 to 10% of sexual abuse reports are false allegations and that other crimes such as intimate partner violence fall within the same scale of 2 to 10%. And we know that false accusations in these documents tend to include unfounded reports. So some of them are not false reports proven to be false, but baseless reports that very well could be true. And we know that reporting abuse tragically abuse is underreported. There are estimates that came out of Europe that took their 2.5% false accusation rate and reduced it to under 1% because the total number of cases that were not reported. Now, why do I bring all this up? Because I don't think we need to be spending our energies in the church and in the biblical counseling rooms and from the pulpit demanding that we solve the problem of false accusations because it's nowhere nearly as significant a problem as domestic and sexual abuse. Now, how does this work in the church? We're not law enforcement. We're not bringing charges against people. But we are talking to people about sin. We are talking to people about repentance. We are drawing people into the gospel. And if we base our movement, our care, our confrontation on the assumption that false accusations are rampant and uh, readily available and often utilized, I'm afraid we're going to do a great deal of harm to victims. 
But if we're willing to be patient, to listen, to gather data from a place of sitting with the vulnerable, my experience has said that the truth will seep into the counseling room, will seep into the pastor's study, and we will gain clarity over time when we place our energies into gospel-centered solutions. Instead of self-protectionism and looking for ways to make sure that we're not a victim of a false report, instead, if we stand with those who are vulnerable, the majority of the time, we'll find ourselves positioned correctly from the start. And the minority of the time, the truth will be uncovered through time and patience and gentleness. Very rarely will we find ourselves rushing to support a false allegation, with one exception. When we believe a perpetrator, a bully, over someone who's been harmed, then we'll find ourselves on the wrong side. When we stand with the vulnerable, it's a matter of time, patience, and diligence to see truth come to light, an effective truth that's going to help individuals uh, escape, grow, endure um, problems like abuse and destruction. And we're going to find ourselves, I think, on the right side of, of the issue. I hope that's helpful. There are a lot of great resources out there on unfounded reports. If you'd like to know a little bit more about how that works in law enforcement, uh, maybe we'll follow up and, and do another episode on that. I do know that there's so much concern about false allegations, and I just want to assuage some of that concern and say, you know, they do happen. I've worked thousands of cases now of intimate partner violence, and uh, I believe uh, I believe in the false reporting category. I've worked uh, perhaps two in all of that time. And um, have there been areas in which I haven't known all the truth? Absolutely. Have there been areas where I've determined or we've determined that the victim has, has lied to us or deceived us in some aspects? Yes. But when it comes to actual false reports where the reported incident was factually proven to be wrong just a couple times. And I think it's much more important to care, to patiently listen, to put our resources into action, um, and to allow truth uh, to be seen. Appreciate you guys so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Please rate, subscribe, let the platform that you're listening on know how much you appreciate uh, the podcast. And until next time, God bless.